Welcome to the Straight Fire Show. Super excited. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing great. So these guys are with, I want to make sure I say Tide Rock Holdings, which we're going to get into. And I've got Brooks and John and super excited for everybody listening today, specifically that's running a small to mid-sized business. This is going to be a key, key podcast. So tune in, share it, um, comment on it. <clears throat> we're going to talk about what it takes to be ready to take your company to the next level, to sell your company, what's all involved with that, what the right partner looks like. Um, these guys are working with companies that you know are 500,000 in EBITDA to you know 2 million plus in EBITDA in helping them really go to the next level. So anything we're gonna cover today is gonna you know, be around prepping your company for sale, what's involved with having a partner, all those different things. So Brooks, John, thanks for joining. Yeah, we're happy to be here. Thanks for having us. No problem. So just real quickly, so Brooks, why don't you spend just a minute, um, I know you're the VP of Finance at Tide Rock, but just give a, a quick overview of what you do there and what Tide Rock does. Sure. So, uh, as the VP of Finance for Tide Rock Holdings, I uh, manage our investors and, and pool the capital that we use to make investments in the companies we work with uh, and simultaneously work on the general strategy and approach of, uh, of Tide Rock Holdings as an investment company. Great. Tide Rock Holdings, uh, to answer your second part of your question, is uh, an investment company that builds and manages what we call pods. You can think of a pod as a mini holding company of uh, what we define as lower middle market businesses, uh, B2B businesses with one to five million in EBITDA that have uh, growth potential uh, that can benefit from the tools and resources and capital that Tidrock brings to bear. Yeah, it's awesome. And then John, what is, what's your role? I'm the Vice President of Leadership and I'm in charge of supporting Tidrock Holdings from the perspective of building a network of advisors and industry professionals as we have a completely diversified pod of businesses that we support. So we work with these industry professionals to provide assistance and insight to the due diligence process and to assist us in bringing some proprietary deal flow opportunities for those executive advisors who are seeking the right company to, to acquire and leave themselves. They have a, a trusted partner and a backer we can work in conjunction with them to find the right fit. Um, on top of that, and something Brooks alluded to a little bit, we have the capability to provide uh, shared resources and kind of shared back office for our portfolio companies. And so for any executive search needs to come about for any of our portfolio companies, I'm there to assist with that as well. So you guys come in, you find, um, which we're gonna talk about here in a second, um, how you see a viable company that is ready to, to scale to that next level, you come in, buy that company as a majority uh, ownership, 51% or more, and yep. then help them um, through, you know, augmenting better leadership team if necessary, uh, back office staff, marketing, whatever to help support that company to continue to grow to the next level. So, yeah, I think that's, that's fair. And there's, there's really two, there's two demographics. There's the, the business owner that wants to cross the gap and wants to stay involved. Need right, like us to to help them do that. Then there's also a, a, a pretty large and, and honestly growing demographic of people who have built a long business or built a business over a long period of time and are re ready to take uh, basically to either take a step back or retire, and but are looking for a, a solid partner who can take over the reins, help 
maintain the legacy of the business, uh, grow from the foundation that they've established, uh, and do well by both them and their employees uh, in a slightly different manner than maybe what the rest of the buyer universe might might do. So there's two different sort of profiles yeah. of, of uh, business owner we work with. That's great. And I talk, um, Brooks, a lot about that. I talk about in-game, right? Most entrepreneurs get into business because of a passion or something they love, but they're never thinking about the in-game, right? So for me, the in-game is what do you want? Why do you want it? And when do you want it? And typically yep. that associates money is the vehicle to usually get you there, whether it's more time, it's monetary things, et cetera. So I always tell these entrepreneurs and business owners, even if you don't want to sell your business, you should be building your business so it is sellable. So let's talk about that because I coach, you know, tons of different people, business owners. I come across deals all the time. As people that actually do deals and buy companies, for the audience listening that's growing their company, what are things that they should be working on or that you guys see value in to go, wow, that's a, that's a great company, right? You know, they've got you know, uh, low customer concentration, you know, they've got recurring revenue, they've got strong EBITDA, they've got scale. What are those things people listening should be thinking about optimizing so at some point a company like Tide Rock would be interested um, in partnering with them? Well, one thing that I'll throw into this is, is when we look at a lot of these companies, we talk to these executives, one thing that's critical is being able to answer the question right off the bat as far as what differentiates you in a very pointed and, and very, you know, to the point answer as far as what's gonna set them apart from the rest of their competitors. Cause there's a pretty large uh, level of deal flow and a lot of opportunities that are out there, but mm -hmm. cutting to the core as far as what is taking this business in position and then versus the others is gonna be something that's gonna drive to the heart of every piece of dialogue that we have. That's awesome. So I, I talk a lot about that is it's niche, right? So what, what do you own? What is the specialty? Are you the market leader? And is there scalability? I'm sorry, Brooks, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, and, you know, and that can be defined uh, many ways. So part of it can, you know, can be approach. Part of it could be a specific technology that you have. Part of it could be a regional specification that you have or a, a market segment uh, emphasis that you have. There's a lot of different ways of doing it, but understanding what it is, being able to communicate it, and being able to uh, defend it as being defensible uh, and sustainable is certainly attractive from a buyer's perspective. I think you touched on the other key ones. So, uh, you know, buyers certainly going to look at uh, customer concentration, going to look at um, at you know growth potential, uh, and one aspect is is also going to be sort of the infrastructure of of the company itself so if you are a business owner and you really are the business then mm. the prospect of buying that company when you're going to <laughs> becomes less attractive very uh, same thing being if you have a if you're a business that has some uh, specialty designation because of you the owner whether it's a you're a minority or you've got some other advantage that allows for the business to have done what it's done to date. Again, you got to think about the perspective of the buyer. If you're going to exit and there goes the special designation, well, there goes a lot of the value in the company. So thinking about how you build uh, the value in the company to be sustaining after you exit um, it is, is certainly a, a, something intelligent to do if, if that is your goal to exit. Right. If you're still in the business, then, it, then it's different. Um, 
but it's th those are things to think about. Yeah, no, great, great point. Guys, talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, I'm a firm believer in, uh, you know, from a sales side perspective, right? When I'm representing a buyer, I'm trying to increase that enterprise value and I'm negotiating back and forth with guys like you. <laughs> Give me a higher multiple. I want more money. So one of those things that I see, uh, and I'd love your perspective, is intellectual property, right? So for me, intellectual property could be process uh, driven. Obviously, it could be tech driven. Do you guys see um, right now in the landscape um, that having continued um, increased enterprise value, or do you not really look at it specific IP is is valuable? It really comes from a def defensibility standpoint. So, you know, people and I come I come my, my by way of background uh, more from a venture capital backed world. We we decidedly are at Tide Rock more in the in the private equity landscape. Uh, but in the venture capital world, it's all about IP uh, development and specifically patent portfolios uh, and other intangible IP. In you know, in the smaller, in the small and lower middle market businesses, uh, if that's there, that's certainly fantastic, and that will that will play into uh, you know into the valuation of the, of the business. Uh, but it's it really has to have some value to it. You can't just because you have you have a logo that you like or right. you have you know a tagline that you like, uh, unless that is proven out in the defensible and sustainable uh, you know differentiation you have in the marketplace. You know, a buyer may not value the IP the same way that right. you. So let's talk emotional about emotional value around IP doesn't doesn't totally, count for totally. Me. It has to be defensible, and just so everybody's following what defensibility is. So let's use the use case here. IP, I come to you and say, I, you know, we believe that this is unique intellectual property. And the proof of that is we're 30% faster than our competitors. Um, we've decreased, um, you know, we've increased our margins by 3% by using this process, right? Um, how we, you know, deliver this, um, we're getting, you know, 15% uh, better, uh, you know, lack of attrition rate than market or whatever. You have to have factual things, right? These are things I coach people on when we're re you know, getting ready to sell a company or, or to go to market in a process is you have to have defensibility, right? In every single thing, you've got to defend your customer concentration. You've got to defend your revenue. You've got to defend the margin. You've got to defend the process. You know, it can't be fake. And I think something you guys will respect, if you're trying to sell your company and it's smoke and mirrors, you're going it's going to get you're going to waste time and money because guys like you are going to figure it out right so yeah. you have to be buttoned up going through a sale process there's a lot of diligence there's a lot of smart people and it's better to be forthcoming and real on what you have up in the upfront would you guys agree with that definitely and i i would just add to what you were uh, what you were saying is that there's uh, you know, the, the aspects of, uh, you know, being better, faster, cheaper, uh, and that being unique, the going one step beyond that and thinking about how true is that today in the current size of your business mm -hmm. and the current competitive landscape, and how true is that if you were to be, let's say, two, three times larger and you start competing with bigger companies? Great point. Are those companies going to be able to throw money at the problem and effectively wipe out your defensible or your uh, competitive advantage? Or is it truly a sustainable competitive advantage? Yeah, great, great, great. And there, there's value in both sides, but it, sure. it, 
just a buyer may look at that that different that competitive advantage a little bit differently if it's well as soon as you get to a certain size a bigger company can <coughs> at it and compete you out of the space let's talk a little bit more about cu customer concentration so when i look at customer concentration you know it's a function of it's a multitude of ways to look at it right but the easiest way to look at it is you know i've got 10 clients and those clients could be in all different verticals and one of those clients takes 90% of my revenue. That's a huge problem, right? Now, if you look at it and say, I've got 10 clients and they're, they're all 10% of my revenue, but they're all oil and gas clients, okay? Do you guys still see that as a customer concentration issue? Although the revenue is diversified, but the market sector and the vertical that I'm working in is oil and gas, do you guys, you know, and I know every use case is um, different, but would you see that as a, a potential issue within customer concentration? Uh, so I view it as two different types of, of risks. So in the case where you have 90% from a single customer, then I would consider that huge that's customer concentration. Okay. Uh, and, that, and that's where the credit profile, the business uh, prospect, et cetera, of that individual customer are having an overweighted effect on your business. Mm -hmm. In the case where you're highly concentrated in a specific industry, I would look at that more from the perspective of economic resilience. Sure. Um, so less from customer concentration, but industry concentration. And so now you're more subject to the ebbs and flows of that particular industry. Got it. Uh, it which may be attractive if you're if you're looking to add on a business that right. is a specific industry or you are a company that already has uh, as large exposure to that industry and you're comfortable with that risk. Uh, but they're just two different, different forms of concentration. Great, and Brooks, you brought up a, 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 something I wanna talk about. You said kind of add on or bolt on, and then I wanna talk about platform, right? Because a lot of people listening to this and business owners, they really don't understand um, working with someone like you, in, in my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, really has two paths. You can be looked at as a platform company to say, wow, we believe the scalability of this company um, is, is phenomenal and we're gonna you know, have a war chest and we're gonna continue to grow this brand and this entity. Or the other uh, way is, man, we've got another larger, bigger entity and it really needs your specialty to add on to that company to create value. Is that, is that a fair way for the people listening to this to be thinking about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think generally speaking, platform is you, you, you know you can think of it as the foundation of the house, and it's got something unique that you want to build upon. And that uniqueness could be it's got the right uh, team and management, and the, the the managerial capability to handle a larger organization. They just need some resources to 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 expedite that growth process, or they have they've got the crown jewel that we want to now build around. Um, Add-ons can be a number of different ways, or can be looked at from a number of different standpoints. One could be, uh, we wanna buy additional customers, so we don't need uh, more management or more infrastructure necessarily, but we wanna buy bigger scope, so we're gonna bolt mm -hmm. on the, the, the customers of that company to the, the, the mothership. It could be, uh, we're, we're moving into a tangential market, so we are already really good in market A, this company, shares a lot of our practices, but they target market B, and <laughs> we're gonna bolt them on. 
Um, so there, there can be a number of different paths. And from the standpoint of a, a seller or a business owner, there's, uh, you know, there, there's certainly a, a drive to be a platform from a, you know, from a valuation standpoint, but the bar is also going to be a lot higher. And, and so for someone who's looking to, to exit without having to necessarily make the investments or business changes uh, to get them to being where they might be considered a platform, being right. multi-acquisitions, you know, can, can be a, a great outcome. Absolutely. So guys, talk to me again. The audience here that, that Tidrock looks at is, you know, probably starting at 500,000 to EBITDA up to about 5 million in EBITDA, right? Well, we started a little bit more around the 1 million EBITDA range. Okay. One to five. Company, yeah, once company gets to about seven, 800,000 or so, we, we start the dialogue at that point. There's a lot of things, again, that we can do with our shared back office that can immediately, um, you know, Cut some costs if we need to to get up to that range, um, but that's when we really start to, to dive into our discussions. So, for those business owners listening to this that are a million and even out of five million, um, talk to me about you know uh, audited financials, right? I you would be shocked how many businesses I sit down with, and I'm sure you guys see this too. You know, they could be a million, two million, three million in EBITDA, and you know they have good financials, but they're not audited. So when you guys come in and do a process and do your diligence and um, do a letter of intent, you're, you're going to you know, acquire a company, how important are audited financials and typically how far back do you want to look at them? I would say we, uh, we care less about audited financials. We care more about, about uh, years of, of financials. So okay. with our particular model, we're looking at uh, – trends and trajectories and understanding the ebbs and flows of a business. We, we want to see how it's weathered uh, certain ups and downs in the market, yeah. et cetera. Uh, and obviously we, you know, we want accuracy, but from an audited standpoint, we, you know, we, that's not an expectation. Okay. At Tidrock, we happen to own an accounting services firm oh, great. Uh, and we have a, uh, you know, a CFO and controller who have, you know, audit capabilities and experience. So we, we sort of bake that into our process and understanding what we're getting into. Uh, but what we do, what we don't want is just to see the last two years and not know what happened over the last 10 years. Okay. Uh, so, so what's the sweet spot? Again, because we're trying, I'm trying to give the audience some guidance of, hey, you want to go and do a process? You want to hook up with Tidewalk? You're going to need at least three years of good financials. You're going to need five. What, What's the magical kind of start number for you guys? I would say at least three years, and I would be a little bit less concerned on, on how in-depth they've gone in that regard, because as Bruce alluded to, right. we have the capability to, to dive into that piece, but what we want to be able to evaluate is a lot of the trajectory. Yeah. That being, that being said, I, I would say while we don't, well, I don't think a full audit is required, uh, it, you should, if you're going to go into a process, make sure that you've had an accountant uh, do your books so they, they have they've created Accredited they have, third party somebody exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. don't have the the bookkeeper right. who you hired who you call a cfo right you know do you do all of your <coughs> sure you had it, a credible third party do them in and at least provide a review so another question um, i'm faced with all the time is judge you know uh I want to continue to, to squeeze my margins. This year, I want to show a two-point increase in margin. Um, I want to take a, a bigger distribution, but I also feel like 
I should take much less this year and margin and sacrifice that because I want to grow the business. What is your counsel? Um, and, and, and to give you kind of some use cases, you know, I believe if we invest a million bucks this year in this piece of technology that, you know, in, in a year from now, it's going to, you know, pay off in, in uh, top line and bottom line growth. But I'm going to have to sacrifice this year that million, um, even though maybe it's an ad back, but it's going to it's going to affect my margins this year. You know, that's that's the tough part for these entrepreneurs. So as you guys are helping shape and look at companies What's the balance in growing the company and, and managing margins? Um, I think it ultimately depends on your near and long-term goals. So if you're, if you're looking to sell the company within the next year or two and your business or industry is one that is uh, valued on financial metrics, meaning tr truly an EBITDA multiple, Right. Uh, then, then you're probably going to want to optimize for that. If you're trying to make investments for the long-term growth of the business and or your uh, business is being sold or valued largely based on, on growth or top line numbers, revenue numbers, then, then you should optimize for that. Um, we, you know, in prior lives, not Tide Rock Holdings, but we've certainly had experiences of making investments in companies that were being sold entirely on revenue growth. So right. profit was a four-letter word. Now, yeah. most of the businesses we look at are, are more financial-driven. So we, we want to buy cash flow, and we want to see business owners who have you know, built a business that can generate consistently and sustainably good cash flow. Uh, so it really depends on the lens of the buyer that you're sure. going to go after, and, and ultimately your, your long-term goals uh, you know, for the growth and the valuation. The timing of where you're at in the business. Exactly. So guys, talk to me, you know, one thing, you know, a lot of people don't understand either until they go to this process is the term ad pack, right? Yep. And um, give the audience a couple examples of, you know, what an ad back is, some examples of ad backs and, you know, where they could be investing in the business and not necessarily be penalized if they do want to sell the company because it'll be considered an ad back. Yeah, so you know the adjustments to to EBITDA are, are typically a negotiated aspect of, of dealing dealing with the buyer. Um, you know, ex examples could be you know there's a business owner who takes a uh, well above market salary, for example, and right. uh, you know, and and so their EBITDA is is artificially low uh, versus what a buyer might look at it if they either replaced that owner or if they brought that owner down to a more market reasonable salary. Great. Uh, there are certain things, you know, we see in a lot of quote unquote lifestyle businesses where people will, you know, finance certain aspects of their lifestyle through the business. So right. cars or other aspects that are not truly business expenses, um, which again could, could artificially depress their, their EBITDA. Um, great while they're running the business, but at a later point, um, you know, a, a, a different owner may want to run things a little, a little bit differently. So, so those are all examples. Great examples. Uh, of, of what we see. What, you know, interesting, I've come across um, several times an owner is ready to go and they're ready to do a process, right? They're ready to sell their company. They're getting interest. And then I look at the financials and they're taking, you know, big distributions, which are, which is fine. Um, but then they're taking a very nominal salary. And so to give you an example, you know, the CEO is maybe taking a hundred grand, but you know, if he or she was to be removed, 
that comp plan would need to be 400 grand or 300 grand. Mm -hmm. How do you, how does that play into a deal? And then should those business owners listening start, you know, they can end up taking the same amount of money in distribution and salary, but should they adjust their salary to market and, and just take a bigger salary and then less distribution? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I get it does, uh, but again, I think it really depends on ultimately what um, you know what their goal is. So if they're going to stay involved in the business, um, they may think about it a little bit differently than if they right. want to sell. In all cases, the buyer is going to come in and say, "Okay, what do I need to mm. plan for if either you leave, you owner CEO leave, or?" God forbid, get hit by a bus. Yep. What am I going to have to do to run this business as I, as the business that I'm buying? Uh, and I'm going to adjust my uh, you know my EBITDA expectations to that. And, and I'm going to apply my multiple to the adjusted EBITDA. So unfortunately, I can't give you a canned answer. Yeah, no, no. I, I think it just it really depends on what the, the goal of that business owner is. And and honestly, in our in our model, that that's that's something that we we end up having a lot of flexibility around, and we talk to the business, the sellers uh, in great detail about is that there's a lot of different ways to get paid, and so we have sellers who come in with Tidrock where they get to participate in the distributions after the transaction. Mm. Uh, not always something that a typical private equity firm or buyer would offer. And so in that case, their, their, their total compensation is not going to, we might try to get them to a, uh, a market appropriate salary so that uh, if they left or God forbid got hit by a bus, there would be continuity in the business. But that's not the sole uh, compensation that they're gonna get. They get their salary plus they get to continue to participate in the distributions. Yeah, it, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit more about Tidrock because when, when John called me, um, I was super interested in the model, right? I mean, I'm, I'm much more used to traditional private equity. And I think for the companies that are a million to five million, Tide Rock is a very intriguing, interesting um, potential partner, right? So talk about some of the advantages for the people that are listening of how you do operate different than, than a traditional private equity. And, and what I'm trying to do is these business owners, they have no context. Right. Most, at least what I found, most good business owners started as a passionate entrepreneur. They've grown a good business, but they, they're not really aware of what that next level is. They're not ready for a buy process. They, they just haven't done that. So the more we can educate them on this process, you know, you guys versus a traditional PE, I think it's going to be really helpful. Yeah, I think one of the major, well, there are a few major attributes to that. When you look at the different paths you can go, Obviously, when you're looking at strategics, it's a situation where you, you really don't know what's going to happen, if anything, with the legacy of your brand or what you've built over the years. But when you look at other private equity firms, there's going to be a lot of situations where they're going to lever the organizations up with a lot of debt and flip it in three to five years because that's just a little bit more typical. And other private equity firms are going to be, um, I guess, not as stringent and when it comes to making investments as we are because we're very focused on long-term holds and on true partnership with the organizations that we bring on board and when these companies come in to be a part of Tide Rock they immediately have the opportunity to utilize our shared back office resources so again we have a human resources talent acquisition marketing um, accounting finance executive search myself 
who can assist these organizations so these founders, those who choose to stay on, can do what they do best and continue to grow and scale their organizations. Uh, we also, because we don't use debt in our transactions as well, we have some you know capital that we can deploy to do different things. To uh, you, you, you guys don't use debt at all? Uh, no, on the individual, we're not gonna, we're, we don't lever individual companies up to pay for themselves, basically. So, so, so that's a huge thing. Talk because most PEs tack on a shitload of debt to the company and it, it prohibits, in my opinion, you know, scale. And I mean, that's a huge differentiator. So expand on what that means because I don't think a lot of people understand that. Yeah. So we look at individual companies, particularly in the size that we go after and don't want to constrain growth. So when we come in, we are not looking to make our returns and, and let's be honest, we're a financial investor, we look to make a good return on our money. We don't do that by virtue of financial engineering these companies. Mm. Uh, and we'll, by that, I mean putting uh, debt onto the individual companies and using that to finance our returns. Right. Instead, we come in with either the, the, the team that we're inheriting or the team that we put in and we say, look, we want to build on the foundation of this company and realize growth by virtue of distributing cash flow and expanding valuation or EBITDA multiple basically. Uh, and we don't want to add additional risk onto what is already a small business in the form of bank covenants and constraints. So for an, uh, an owner operator, that <laughs> to be really attractive. Now we certainly get leverage, we can get leverage at Odd level or other aspects, uh, but for the for the operator of the business, we do not put them under the constraints of of excessive leverage. That's huge. I mean, that is a huge differentiator um, because uh, you know I, you see so so often a PE will come in and just tack on so much debt that it makes it like you're you're you know digging in sand to try to get out of it. Um, so that's a, a huge advantage. Um, that I think you guys are, are, are poised to be successful once you find the right partners. Yeah, and I think you know ultimately for for a uh, a seller, they're just kind of stepping back to your original question, like what what they're gonna what they need to think about when they get prepared to sell their businesses. Okay, first off, am I emotionally and psychologically ready to go mm. through the process? It doesn't happen overnight, and it's going to require a, a good amount of work and and a lot of time and effort. Then two, what's the process I want to go down? Do I want to go down the process of engaging uh, a sell-side investment banker or other inter intermediary who ultimately I'm going to need to pay if I'm successful right. uh, and understand that there's going, they, I'm hiring them to run a process, get a bunch of buyers involved, knowing that there are going to be a bunch of people who are going to come and ask me a lot of questions. A bunch of questions. Uh, <laughs> and I want to go through uh, you know, the, the details of my business, uh, that can be, that can be effective. If your primary goal is, Hey, I want to uh, get a bake off and get the highest price I can get, but it's going to come at cost, uh, one cost in, you got to pay the intermediary, but two, it's going to come with a lot of distraction. So totally first and foremost, you got to keep running the business to make sure that the deals ultimately close and successful. And so that's, those are, those are things you need to think about just with respect to the process that you may go down. Alternatively, and what you know, we see some people do is they, uh, you know, they they sort of cultivate their own uh, target list of hey, I, I know the competitors in my space, or I know the big companies in my space, and 
I, as well as, or as good as any other intermediary can probably reach out to them about a, about a transaction if that's the path I want to go. Alternatively, if, if I want, if I'm interested in a model like Tide Rock uh, or, or private equity in general, you know, I, I may just choose to, to reach out to those, those firms on my, on my own and, and sort of cut out the distraction and cut out the middlemen. I'm not going to say that any one process is perfect for, for any uh, business, but it, I think it really benefits somebody to think in advance, hey, I'm not going to go down this process just because everybody else does it. Uh, this is what is appropriate for me and for my business at this point in time. I think that, that yeah. just thinking through that at the beginning is really important. Well, well I'll give the counsel because I've, I've been through all three of those scenarios multiple times in each three of them. Running a process is a pain in the ass. I mean, it is. I mean, so anybody listening to this, your tax, the taxation, the meetings, the, the pitches, the diligence, the data room, the distraction of the business is huge. So yeah. um, as you guys, because I know we're, we're getting close on time here. So if someone listening to this is looking, give me the types of, of businesses. Again, we're looking at a million to five million in EBITDA. Uh, you know, manufacturing to, to service, like what, what is an ideal, um, you know, partner look like for you guys? Yeah, I'll speak a little bit to that. So we like uh, at Tide Rock, we like to target a lot of light manufacturing, uh, B2B services, uh, business services. And then we also look at a lot of value add distribution um, could be also some transportation, logistics, healthcare services, anything that has a higher level of reoccurring or recurring revenue and one that's more economically resilient and isn't tied to any cyclicality or seasonality within business in and of itself. And when some of these founders look at our organization, especially if they're going to stay on board, it's worth noting versus some of these other private equity firms, uh, we're going to acquire these companies and, and we can hold indefinitely because of our model, the situation where we can grow these organizations. And when it comes time to exit, we can exit at a choosing in a time frame that makes the most sense for the business itself and economically. So we're not, you know, tied to some specific time frames and we're looking at, you know, making a, a transaction in, in 2009. So Got that's it. an additional benefit as well. Yeah, totally. And you said one thing that I preach all the time and I want the audience to, to, to pay attention to is recurring revenue, right? I, I wrote a whole book, Mastering Recurring Revenue, because if you want to grow a sustainable, valuable enterprise value business, you've got to have that piece, right? So, you know, you as, as partners, the financial partners, you want to look at the, the accuracy and the predictability 12 months, 24, 36, 72 months out of, of the stability of the business via the, the, the P&L tied to recurring revenue, right? It's, it's, it's super, super, super key. Yeah, that, absolutely, um, and, and that there's a reason why you know we 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 generally don't look at businesses that are in uh, construction or or real estate or other aspects where they've got big project. ups and downs. Yeah, big big project related revenue because it's it's high it's capital hard, expense. Yeah, it's hard 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 to run those businesses from the standpoint of stability and consistency. Right. Um, and some of them can be highly profitable and can do well, but it's just hard. That predictability of financial buyer puts a lot of premium on that. Yeah. So guys, again, looking at, uh, you know, the, the people listening, if, if they're growing their business and at some level they, they have the opportunity and it makes sense to partner with you, what would be the one piece of advice 
to give that, that uh, growing entrepreneur or business owner? Man, you got to roll, roll it all into one. <laughs> or, 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 top, or top three. I mean, really, it's... Well, one thing that I would say is really a step back and consider what you want in a partner when you exit. So what, when they're yeah. understanding that they're exiting completely, if it's a situation where they want to cash out entirely, you know, a, a firm like us, Tidrock, we can, you know, cash them out entirely. Or we can, we can acquire the company at 51%, 60%, 70%, and they can roll equity into both the pod itself and get distributions from the pod and maintain some equity in the company. And, you know, some of these founders, they're not used to not having a consistent cash flow. And we know they're about to get a, a large check, but in this situation, they can defer some cap gains and they can roll some equity into the company itself and continue to get some distributions over a long period of time and watch a thing they build grow. In other situations, you know, maybe they do want to sell to a strategic because it makes more sense or they want to, you know, approach and get the largest multiple with, with a different private equity firm and just cash out entirely. It just depends on understanding what you want your future to be, mm. your individual self. What's your end game? Yeah, yeah. No, great, great, great piece of advice. Brooks, you got one? I, I think you just said it. What, what ultimately is your end game? Yeah. What, what do you want? So, and, and, and that, uh, that plays back into the process aspect. So keep in mind, and if you get an, inter, if you get an intermediary or someone else who is sort of running the process for you, uh, there, make sure that they are aligned with you and what your end game is. Mm. Amen. The highest price may or may not highest price, <laughs> price may or may not be what you ultimately want. There, there are a lot of other aspects in a deal and in the ultimate uh, sort of management of your business post deal. So keep what is your true north and what is your end game, and then help love it. The process uh, and the ultimate buyer you work with uh, define you know, or be in, in alignment with that. I love it. Brooks, yeah. You can boil it down to the one word alignment. You know, yeah. You're asking for one statement. We can make it one word. It's, it's, you know what you're looking for in your alignment. Yeah. I love it. So in my, my book scale with speed, I'll make sure you guys get copies. Chapter one is start with your end game. I mean, it's, it's, it's so, it's so important. What do you want? Why do you want it? Um, and when do you want it? Those things are key. And then you can build a real plan to back into those things once you understand what, why, and to me, the most important is when, because that creates urgency to execution. So guys, listen, I think you have a really big opportunity. I think Tide Rock is, a, is an interesting model. Uh, I think it's an intriguing model, but the big opportunity I see for you guys, and I'm just going to call it out here on this, because people listening, these business owners and entrepreneurs they, they need education on this. They need education on the process, the education on what it's like to work with somebody like you guys. There's not enough resources out there explaining that next level. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. and I think um, most private equities don't educate, right? I mean, I've lived this multiple times and now I'm really good at it, but the only reason I'm good at it is because I did it. Right, but if I was educated, pre-investment banker, pre-process, pre-all that shit, I would be in a. I'd have a better business and be in a better position, and ultimately would have been a better acquiree or acquirer if I would have been educated better. So I think you guys have a real um, opportunity to build trust, to educate, and to also get more qualified buyers by teaching more things that go into what you guys do. 
So it's just my piece of counsel. Um, I think there's a big opportunity there. Nobody's owning that space. And I think you guys could, could own it. Yeah, to, to that point, we, we've just now started. You'll, you'll notice that there aren't, there's not a lot of uh, educational material and a lot of uh, private equity websites. Um, Zero. Part, that's, that's, not, that's not their end game. Um, we, we, we are, I think, taking your, your advice to um, the heart. And on our website, we've actually just recently started putting out a lot of content related to just what does a process look like? Yeah, it's awesome. How does a buyer evaluate a business? What, you know, when should you sell your business? Uh, and so in the, you know, in the news and articles section of our website, we're, we're putting that out there now. I love uh, understanding that. that businesses in this, in this micro market, you know, often, often don't have that content. And, and look, it's, it's great for us to have a better, more educated seller totally. than to work with someone who doesn't know what, what they're doing. So uh, not, way around. Yeah. Uh, the goal in all, it, it de-risks a, a deal and improves the chances of a partnership working in the long term. Love it. Okay, guys, I know we've got to get wrapped up here. Uh, for people listening, what is the best way to get a hold of you guys um, if they're interested in seeing if there's an opportunity to work together with Tide Rock? So the, the, the best is honestly reaching out uh, via our, our website. We've got a contact form there. It goes directly to, uh, to myself. Um, okay. And so you, you'll get direct access and quick review. Okay. And so for everybody listening, that's Tide Rock Holdings dot com tiderockholdings.com okay guys it's been awesome i appreciate you guys being on this i hope this is uh it's been super beneficial to the audience and uh till next time make it happen